Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank You for the great opportunity we have each and every week to come and get a glimpse of, of what heaven is and Your kingdom, what it is in reality, breaking through into this broken world. And we rejoice in that opportunity. Whether uh, we speak uh, English as a first language or not, we, we rejoice in the work that You have done in the cross of Jesus to call us to Yourself and to renew us and our lives from the inside out. You've transplanted a new heart in us. And may we live with that new heart, with new thoughts and uh, godly intentions and action of life. May it be so in all that we do and all that we are becoming as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters of yours, as a family together of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, years ago, uh, one of my favorite artists, all right, he's still one of my favorite, is named Garth Brooks. In fact, uh, when I first met Susan, uh, some of the very limited amount of music that I took with me overseas uh, was a good compilation of Garth Brooks' country music. One of Garth Brooks' early hits was a song called The Dance. And it is reminiscing of the, uh, the joy, even when things didn't work out, the joy of having this relationship with this other person. But the first two words in that song are these, looking back. And then he reminisces on what that looking back is about. We um, have been talking in recent weeks about the, the joy of uh, walking with God. And we come to the end of our series this morning. And I don't know about you, but when I look back, my great hope, uh, and even the older I get, the, the greater this hope is for me, is that when people think about my life or they reflect on, on the life I lived and uh, the, the impact, perhaps, of what that might be, my, my hope in having accolades or an elevated sense of myself diminishes, it seems, by the week. And what I hope more and more that... The remembering, the memory of my life will be is that people will look back and say, wow, I was so encouraged in my faith because of what I saw God doing in His life. Because of the work of Jesus touching His life, changing His life, growing Him, stretching Him. And they praise God, not because of anything I've done, but because of the goodness of God in me. That's my hope. And it grows by the day. It, it expands by the week and the month, and I pray it continues to go that way. There's another song that really captivated me when I was in high school uh, by a group called For Him. Four men who uh, sing a lot of uh, harmonies together. And the song was interesting because it talks about what, what if pen was still being put to paper today and the Bible was literally still being written out? What are the types of people that God would choose to write in the Bible as examples for godly living today? And here's how the song goes. From the time time began, you, God, you always chose a man to lead the people safely by your way, to be a voice and to echo what you say. Like David or Abraham, the world is full of such men, but if the word... God's Word is full of such men. But if the Bible had no closing page, it still was being written to this day, Oh, I want to be a man that you would write about. Oh, a thousand years from now that they could read about. 
The servant of choice in whom you found favor, a man who heard your voice. Generations, always, it's my prayer that they would look back and say, Oh, to have that kind of faith and love. What a solid man of God he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the song goes on. You can look it up if you want. It's quite a moving song for me. There, uh, there's, it was in the early days of music videos, and these guys are walking through a cemetery. I mean, talk about uh, quite vivid imagery. Um, but that, that's the kind of life, right, that we want to live that if God were still literally writing the Bible today, that He might work in your life in such a way and to such a degree and with such a forceful impact that the world around you is changed and that your life is different than what it was last year. Your marriage and your parenting and your working relationships, your whole life is touched and transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. When we look back, how are you and I going to honestly evaluate our lives? When we stand before God, and you will stand before God one day, will you be satisfied or mortified with the life that you've lived? Will you be satisfied or mortified in the way that you've engaged with God and the way that you have allowed God to engage in every facet of your life? In your relationships, in your money, in the things that bring your life fear, in the insecurities that you have, whatever it might be, the stuff of living. Have you let God, do you allow God to engage you in those places? Today we're answering questions like this, like these, and we find it in our passage today. If you want to open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 in your Bibles. We are concluding our series on stewardship today. And we've been talking about starting. Uh, we started back several weeks ago, five weeks to be exact, about the idea of looking at, at stewardship. What does it mean to be entrusted with things from God and then to manage those things well, to do good with that which God has entrusted to me and to us and to you. We began with not the stuff that we're entrusted with, but with the attitude of contentment. And how if we're going to look at stewardship, I think rightly, we have to begin with an understanding of an attitude of life that looks not at the circumstances of a particular season of life, not at the situations that are coming perhaps as a result of my decisions, or nothing that I've done, but because of what others have done, I'm being impacted regardless of the situations or circumstances. Our contentment ought to lie outside of those realities and lie in something else of greater substance, of greater longevity, of much deeper impact in our life. And the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content because it is through Christ that I can do all things. So our contentment rests in our relationship with Jesus Christ outside of the particulars of any situation or circumstance of our life. And my goodness, that is good news that that is available to you because your circumstances and situations are not always going to be sunny and happy and wonderful, right? So contentment must lie 
outside of those circumstances and in your relating to Jesus. And if we start there, then we moved on to step two, which is now we are able to think about stewardship in the idea, not just in the, the fine details or the categories of stewarding my life, but instead in the idea that my whole life is to be given back to God out of gratitude for Him. Because the Scriptures say, for those who are in Christ, that we are no longer our own, for we have been bought at a price. And so we are to honor God with all that we are, every facet of our being, nothing held back. It all belongs to God, and it's all given back to God so that He can be glorified through my living. And that my life in the various uh, categories of that living is touched and transformed and I become more and more like Jesus in all facets of my living. And then we talked about the, the various facets of that. We've talked about money and how to be a steward of money. And how so often, if you really want to look at a person's priorities, what is really important to them... It's revealed by what we spend our money on. And then another facet is what we, how we engage our time. What do we do with the time that God has given us? We're all given 24 hours in a day. And how do we manage that time in a way that reflects that God is a value and a priority to me? And then we've talked about spiritual giftedness. It's kind of like this bouquet of flowers. I've never been in a church that I remember at least that every Sunday had fresh flowers and a brand new arrangement. And I tell you, every time I sit here, it is, it is so delightful to me because I stare at these flowers. Sometimes I can smell them and it enhances my worship experience. And I'm so grateful for those who participate in this particular ministry. And uh, I, I helped Judy Charlotte bring this particular uh, arrangement in yesterday. And as we carried it, it's quite heavy. And as we carried it, it was really strong and pleasant smelling. Um, and I said, these are wonderful, Judy. She said, well, these, these are kind of the leftover flowers out of my garden before they, they diminish. And I thought, how wonderful that someone like her can take flowers out of her garden, pluck them out of the garden that she has, and arrange them in a way and to offer them back to God. That's exactly what stewardship is all about, is that God has given you a garden in your life, and He's given you certain flowers, and He's asked you to take those flowers and to pluck them at the right time and to mix them together so that you can offer them back in grateful in grateful response and gratitude to Him. Enough for the review. All right? Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. I'm, I'm just getting warmed up. I can, I can be here a while. but Today we're talking about looking back and then also looking forward. Paul is writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is writing to Timothy. He refers to Timothy as his son. Timothy is so dear to Paul. Timothy has been with him in multiple opportunities of ministry and going and planting new churches, traveling together. Timothy is mentioned as a co-author of several of Paul's letters. He's really significant in the life of Paul. He is a trusted co-worker. And he has seen, along with Paul, God do amazing things. During their journeys, they had come through the island of Crete, and Paul had left Titus in Crete. And we get the letter, the small letter, almost a postcard to Titus. And then as they moved up, he went to the, the uh, Turkish city of Ephesus and uh, spent some time there. And as he left, he left Timothy behind. 
And Paul is now writing to Timothy as he pastors the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was an interesting city. It was similar to Marin County in many ways. It had an estimated population of somewhere between 200 and 250,000 people. It was a, a really important economic hub of the area because of the way the trade routes came through the city and its uh, uh, positioning on the Aegean Sea, right, to, uh, on the, um, let me get my directions right, the east side of Greece. A lot of trade happened. It was really powerfully economically. And it was a spiritual uh, center for the whole region. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world was resided right in the city of Ephesus. It was the temple to Artemis. And the Ephesian people viewed themselves as the guardians of, uh, of this temple. Roman uh, culture called uh, the goddess uh, Diana. But there were also spiritual obstacles both inside the church and outside of the church. Paul is writing from a Roman prison during Emperor Nero's reign. You probably remember that Nero infamously at one point took Christian people and hung them on stakes in his garden and lit them on fire to light his garden. Christianity was not welcome under the reign of Nero as an emperor of the Roman Empire. That's more generally. But more specifically in Ephesus, there were some even in the church who were teaching unchristian ideas and leading people away from the good relating to God that he intended for them. Timothy was a man in need of strength, in need of encouragement, and in need of reassurance. And Paul offers this in part by looking back. In verse 6 of chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, For I am being poured out, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. This is the last letter Paul is going to write that finds its way into our New Testament canon. Number one out of verse 6 is that looking back, Paul is satisfied with the sacrifice of his life to God. Looking back, Paul is satisfied with the sacrifice of his life to God. He describes that this is the moment that his departure, the time of his departure has come. That's a word that was, was used at times for ships when they were about to pull up anchor and head back home from their journey. Or a military uh, regiment that had been out on their campaign and now they're breaking camp to return home. The Apostle Paul says, it may not be tomorrow, but I can see that my death is imminent. It's coming soon and it's not just death that he's focused on. It's about his home going to God for my time of departure has come. And we talked just a few weeks ago out of Psalm 90 about how all of our lives have an expiration date. As Halloween is upon us, we're in the middle of October. Um, it's hard not to think, at least for me, when Halloween is here, uh, I'm reminded about death, aren't you? Reminded about all sorts of things, but I'm reminded that there are some people who are seriously fascinated by death, right? Um, have you ever walked? Have you walked recently into a Halloween costume store? It's uh, it's quite an experience. Uh, there's so many things you walk in and you feel like you've stepped into a graveyard many times. All the decorations. I was even in a a party decorating store just this week, yesterday, in fact, and I walked up and there's a package of a 
of a snake. It's you know, it's obviously rubber and mechanical, and um, and he was all coiled up, and he was sitting up like this, and it had a press button here. I, I have a hard time resisting <laughs> when it's time to press the button, and I know what's going to happen, right? What's a snake do? Psst, right? Psst. I knew exactly what was going to happen, but guess what I did when I pushed the button? <laughs> Even though I was ready, I was like, ah. But everywhere you look, there's all sorts of wild things going on in a Halloween store. And at this time of the year, maybe more than any other times, I'm reminded through the costumes or the movies that are released, the themes of this month, of how some people are seriously fascinated with death. But I'm also reminded that there are others who have a crippling aversion to death. And they struggle to discuss it. And they struggle to face it. I don't know about you, but... When it comes to death, I I want to remain open to my time when it comes. I do my best to stay there. I I don't know about you, but I do not want to die one moment sooner than I'm supposed to. But honestly, I do not want to live one minute longer than God intends for me to live. Whether that means five minutes more or fifty years more. We want to live our lives to the glory of God and the fullness that He has for us. Looking back, Paul is describing his own life as one that is satisfied with the sacrifice that he has been able to offer by God's grace back to God. He has another phrase there. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. A word that's often translated in some older translations is libation. The word used in the Old Testament to to take literally a pitcher of, of drink and to pour it out around an offering scene. He's talking about his imminent death to come. One of my most cherished memories and conversations about uh, those who stand ready to lay their life down for the Lord comes from, uh, many of you might remember Dr. Jean, our veterinary missionary friend who uh, spent many years in Uganda. Well, she, uh, when I first met her, I was just amazed both at her life and personhood and at the adventures that she had been on. When she was in Uganda, one of the, re- or the region that she focused on was up in the northeast. And if you asked a Ugandan, if you mentioned the name Karamoja to a Ugandan, they, they would say words like, oh, it's really rough, it's really violent, it's really dangerous. People have guns, not just handguns, but AK-47 type automatic weapon guns. And she went and gave her life to the people of Ketamosia. The reason she went there is because as a veterinary... Vet, uh, how do you say it? A veterinary doctor, veterinarian. Thank you. She, uh, she went because uh, the Ketamajong were people who loved their cattle. In fact, they, if you're part of a tribe, you would often go and you'd get on your horses sometimes or in your vehicles and, and you'd go and invade other tribes just so that you could take their cattle. You'd pull out your AK-47s and the people didn't matter. But the cattle did. And one moment, she, one day she was driving her, her uh, jeep, her truck, through uh, a region. And all of a sudden, up over the hill, comes a raiding party. And they're coming right at her. And she sees the flash of the muzzles going off right in her direction. She's not hit because she told me the story about it. And I was so wrapped up in the details. Um, I said, were you scared? That's a pretty dumb question, huh? She said, yeah, I was. I said, were you worried? She said, yeah, I was worried. And then she said this, because she got out of the car, she noticed bullet holes around her truck, but nothing on her person. And she said, you know, if the blood, if my blood poured out in service to God, 
If that were to water the seeds of the gospel, then praise be to God. Right? The Apostle Paul says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering before the Lord. The time of my departure has come. Paul is reminding Timothy and giving him the encouragement to stand strong. As Paul looks back, he's describing a life that is satisfied in its sacrifice to the ministry of God's goodness. But it's, you know, it's not just missionaries and it's not just the great Apostle Paul. It's common people. If you've read the book or watched the film recently of the insanity of God, you've been reminded that everyday people like us living in places of persecution all around the world regularly stand up with this sort of attitude that their lives stand ready because of their engagement with the gospel and the wonder of how Jesus has touched them and works through them that they stand ready too to pour out have their lives poured out in sacrifice to God Oh boy, one of, seeing the Chinese congregation up here just sparked a memory from the movie and how uh, Nick Ripkin had spent some time in Somalia and he was there when all of the known Somali Christian believers were executed. And he ends up going on this tour around the world to go and visit other persecuted Christians and he finds himself in China and he's speaking to a group and he goes to bed one night after sharing about what had happened and the sadness in Somalia. And he's awoken in the middle of the night. There's all sorts of commotion going on. He thought this group, which was an illegal gathering, he thought it was about to be broken up by the police and the authorities. And he gets up and he's tense and he's ready to leave and grab his bag and he walks into the next room, hustles in there, and he doesn't see commotion of departure. What he sees are Chinese brothers and sisters gathered around praying, not for their own safety, for which they needed, but they were praying for the gospel to go forth in Somalia with power and that the gospel would not be snuffed out even though the known Christian believers had been killed. That was their prayer. Aren't you glad to be around brothers and sisters who pray for the needs of others around the world? You see, it's for regular people like you and me who stand with an attitude and I want to stand at the end of my life, and I know you do too, where we can look back and say, God, by Your grace, I am satisfied with the sacrifice of my life offered back to You by Your grace. There's a second thing that Paul does. Not only is he looking back on the satisfaction of sacrifice, but he's also looking back and he's remembering that God has helped his faith to persevere. And in verse 7 it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This word fight uh, is translated differently in Hebrews chapter 1 when it describes uh, running the race that has been marked out for you. It can be translated as fight, but it can also be translated as race. And it seems perhaps that Paul is saying and understanding and helping Timothy be reminded that this race of the gospel, the engagement that we have, is the noblest engagement that our life can, can be wrapped up in. It's the grandest run of all to go with God where He leads us in the gospel ministry. He says, I have finished, the or I have fought the good fight. In other words, God has given me the ability to run in the noblest and grandest run of them all. He says, I have... Uh, finished the race, not just the sense of completion, but that he has run the course that God marked out for him. 
He ran the way God guided him along the way, whether it led him to persecution, whether it led him to whippings and beatings and shipwrecks, being kicked out and run out of cities, whether it led him to places and moments of joy where believers were coming to faith. It didn't matter. He was satisfied now, thanking God as he looked back, that God helped his faith to persevere. And then finally, he says that that he has kept the faith, that God had given him the strength through all of these mountain peaks and all of these valley lows. God was there with him and guiding and leading through it all. We might restate these, that Paul is rejoicing in the grand adventure that God had invited him into, that God had directed his life, and that God had given him the grace to persevere. Is that the testimony of your life? As you look back over the course of your life from this day, finally, the Apostle Paul doesn't just look back, but he looks forward. He looks forward in verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for His appearing. He describes the crown of righteousness. Back in in the first century, when athletes uh, were successful in competing in games, they were given a wreath crown of of live foliage, and it would be placed on their head and enjoyed for a few days, but it was a crown that faded with its original beauty. It's a crown that just, you know, went wilt, uh, wilted. And uh, we might think today of things like title belts. I grew up loving professional wrestling. Um, I loved watching the entertainment of it. I didn't know it was entertainment when I was little, uh, but uh, I've since learned better, I think. It's entertainment. But, uh, or boxing matches. We know that a lot of sports, there are title belts, right? You win a championship and you get this really ornate belt that you wouldn't ever wear in your pants. You would never take outside in public, but you wear it and it decorates your waist. Uh, in the ring or uh, on your wall because it designates you as a champion, right? We also think we've just finished the Olympics and we know uh, an Olympic champion or a a medal winner wins a medal that is theirs to keep. Uh, Sometimes even our uh, San Francisco Giants here in recent years have won several World Series championship rings, right? These are are the awards for competing well uh, in games that are laid out for us. Uh, God is describing to us that uh, Christian believers, that we anticipate the end of our course, the end of our race, the end of our run and our fight one day. And again, it might be five minutes from now. It could be 50 years from now. But that's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. And the question is, when you stand at that point, you stand before God, how will you respond in your reflecting back on your life And will it be filled with gladness? You see, when Jesus returns, because God is faithful, He has made a promise that Jesus will return one day so that those who have put their faith and trust in Him will be with Him forever. Forever. That is His promise. And He is the faithful judge will return and award to all of His faithful followers that which uh, is the reward that He chooses for us. Our response won't be, Holding up the belt. It's not going to be saying, look what I've done. You know what our response is going to be? It's going to be just like Paul. It's going to be, thank you, God, for what you produced in me. Thank you, God, for what you produced in me. The crown of righteousness. 
If you could write a letter today to encourage someone who's near and dear to you, what would you write about concerning your relationship to God that might strengthen them? What would you write about in the ways God has touched and changed an area of your life? What would you write about if you knew a younger believer needed encouragement today? How would you give them encouragement in reflecting upon your own life, looking back at where you've seen God at work and how you know He has been strong for you? How would you describe in your marriage or in your parenting, in your working with your adult children, in your contributions at your workplace? What would you write? Here's your invitation for today. Are you ready? If you consider yourself younger today, you can define what that means. Whether younger in age, maybe younger in your spiritual journey and walking with God, if you consider yourself younger or just someone who would benefit, I want you, I want to invite you before 8.30 next Sunday morning, before 11 o'clock next Sunday morning rolls around, is to pick up the phone or type out a little email to someone in this fellowship that you admire for their faith. And I want you to invite them to maybe have lunch or have a cup of coffee sometime down the road. That meeting doesn't have to happen this week. If you so accept this challenge and this invitation, what I'm asking you to do is just to make contact with somebody over the next week. You say, you know what, I've, I've been watching the way you interact with your kids and I'd love to sit down and talk with you. Or I met your grown children and what, what a delight they are. I would love as a parent to talk with you about how you, you parented your children growing up. Or... Uh, Whatever the issue or area may be, someone in this church that you respect, you respect their walk with the Lord, you respect their faithful response back to God, and just call them up and invite them to a cup of coffee. Just say, you know, I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like to listen to how you've walked with God. I'd like to learn more, perhaps, how you pray, how you read your Bible, how you hear God touching areas of your life that need, that need His touch. You know what I mean? I want to ask you, those who are younger, I'm going to put the responsibility on you. Younger, however you would define that. Somebody who's just interested. Let's say it this way. If you're just interested in getting to know somebody better. If you get a call or an email from somebody, I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to be overly concerned. It's an opportunity to develop a a friendship and a relationship with somebody. You're not expected to have every answer to every question or anything like that. You're just having a chance to share your life. That's why God puts us together in a family of faith. Because we need each other. And we need to grow from each other. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing with Timothy. He was offering him guidance and encouragement. That's your challenge. That's your invitation for this week. That's one of the joys and privileges of being in a church like this. That's uh, such a broad cross-section of generations of people in different levels or different uh, phases of their life journey with God, is that we can help each other, we can learn from each other, we can listen to each other and celebrate in what God has done so that we can celebrate as others might look back and they, we hear in them a testimony of the joy-filled sacrifice of a life and we can learn to walk our lives similarly as they have theirs. 
Living God, this is part of our prayer this morning, is that we, we would be people, we are like Timothy, we are, we're people in need of encouragement and reinforcement and strength today. God, we want to stay deeply connected and rooted to You. We need each other to be able to do that well and to grow in that relationship. God, there are many men and women in this church that that are admired by so many others. Maybe they don't even know why they're admired, but their life uh, is lived with You in a humble way. Whatever it is, I pray that You might stir some hearts this morning. If You would desire certain people to connect in the coming days, that You would allow those schedules to be worked out, that You would allow openness and uh, the, the communication to happen and a willingness from all hearts to have a chance to share our spiritual lives with each other. So as you desire to move, Holy Spirit, would you do that today and in the days to come? May we be people who can look back and be satisfied at what you have done in our life, that you've given us the grace to persevere in our faithful life, not perfectly, but faithfully. Help us to be those people. Help us to walk with you in joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.